Okay, so we are in lesson eight of the winter quarter. The title of our lesson is Solomon's Decline. Scriptures covered will be 1 Kings chapter 11 and 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 29 through 31. And we start off with section A, which is Solomon's slide into idolatry. Now, we mentioned this in the past lessons. We've had several lessons on Solomon. Solomon made a request that pleased the Lord very much. He asked for wisdom to rule. The Lord gave him wisdom, so much wisdom, that he was the wisest man ever living other than Jesus Christ. And he also gave him what he didn't ask for, which was honor and wealth in great abundance. And that is what we have uh, looked at in the last couple of weeks. And we noticed that there were some inklings with Solomon that uh, he was not paying careful attention to the Mosaic Law. There were just inklings. But now we'll see disaster strike. <laughs> okay. So can I get somebody to read verses 1 through 8 of chapter 11? Okay, thank you. This just starts out with Solomon loved many foreign women, and then he lists several pagan nations surrounding Israel. And uh, then it says the number of women, which is 700 wives, princesses, and then 300 concubines, so that's a total of 1,000. So this took some time. This had to have taken some time to build this, mm -hmm. you know, menagerie of ladies. Yeah. So now, this is a proverb that Solomon himself wrote. Proverb sixteen eighteen: Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Then we've reviewed Deuteronomy chapter 17 several times, but it says what the kings of Israel are to do. They're to copy the law. They're to read the law every day. And it says specifically of the kings not to multiply wives or personal wealth or horses. And, um, you know, we've talked about that in lessons past, but uh, Solomon obviously was not adhering to that very closely. And then in Exodus 20, and this is verses 2 through 6, this is from Mount Sinai. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. First law. You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children on the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. So if you look at verse 2, Remember, back in lessons past, we learned that Solomon loved the Lord. It tells us, 
in his in his early reign, you know, remember he reigned, he started roughly 20 years old. It doesn't tell us exactly, but you can figure that out by the dates of David's reign and the place of Solomon in Bathsheba's number of kids she had. So verse 2, the end of verse 2, well, it says, The nations concerning from which the Lord had said to the sons of Israel, You shall not associate with them, nor shall they associate with you, for they will surely turn your heart away after their gods. And then it says something very significant. Solomon held fast to these in love. In love. So um, that is the definition of idolatry. Solomon loved his wives more than he loved God. And that is idolatry, when you place your affection on something more than where it should be placed. Um, that makes you want to please the object of your love. And that's what he was doing. So, yeah, most of these uh, wives were not initially for emotional reasons. They were for political reasons, to solidify his power. Now, is that, was that necessary, do you think? Yeah, I mean the Lord the the Lord warned against political affiliation also with pagan nations and you know I mean we can see that the Lord is able to protect anybody he wants to protect and I mean if you look back at Genesis 35 this was right after Levi and Simeon had annihilated a city because the prince of the city had raped their sister Dinah so they annihilated the city, and Jacob was afraid that they were going to come and get him. So he left that area, and he says, as they journeyed, this is Jacob and his family, there was a great terror upon the cities which were around them, and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So the Lord is perfectly capable of protecting a country or anyone. And these political alliances were unnecessary, and this was... Solomon's worldliness. He was thinking like a, and you know that is um, that is the thinking of the world, and that is what the Lord is trying to teach us not to rely on, and that is why Romans twelve verse two says to renew your mind. And by the way, that's why our church is reading through the Bible together. This is a plug, and the uh, and the schedule is on our website under events, and you can pick up right where you are right now. You don't have to start at the beginning. But that's what we want to do, renew our minds so that we have God's blessing. But yeah, you know, I mean, Solomon, he probably didn't even know all his wives. I calculated if he slept with a different woman every day, just once a day, okay. if, it, you know, yeah, it'd be two and three quarters years to get through them all. And that would be tiring. One <laughs> every day. And then it makes you wonder, he had a copy of God's Word. Did he ever read Genesis 2, verse 24? Or a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Um, it, he wasn't reading that. Well, he was wealthy beyond imagining. He had enough money to support them. The issue is not, is it possible 
worldly, you know, in a worldly way, it was possible. The issue was, is that what God wanted? And that was clearly way out of line. Yeah, I mean, it's fascinating that Solomon wrote the Proverbs, wisdom literature. He wrote the Song of Solomon, which we have recorded in the Bible, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes, which I think was probably after he had been involved in this for a while. Exactly, exactly. So, and that, that is why we're in our little class here. So now this restriction that was incumbent upon Solomon is also incumbent upon us in the church. So 2 Corinthians six fourteen, Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness, or what fellowship has light with darkness, or what harmony has Christ with Belial, or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. So we, if as believers, we have a limited choice of spouses. They must be believing. And... That mandate is flaunted today, maximally, even among Christian families, and they pay for it because your love is on your spouse. And if your spouse does not love God either, that will drain away your affection mm -hmm. to God. And there, you know, it's just it's like a a law, <laughs> you know, so. That's the issue. So the section B, God predicts the divided kingdom. That is 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 9 through 13. Can I get a reader for that one? Thank you. Okay, the Lord has emotions. He's an emotional person, and he created us in his image. We have emotions. He has emotions. And this emotion that Solomon engendered in the Lord was anger. The Lord is angry with Solomon. And, uh, you know, he says, very few people get to experience what Solomon experienced. God appeared to him, I'm assuming visibly, as appearance is related to sight, twice. He appeared to him twice, and then he also sent messages through prophets to Solomon. In the, the appearances were chapter 3 and verse 5. That was when he uh, was contacting him about his request. What did he want? And then chapter 9, verse 2, after his dedication of the temple. Both of those times, he warned Solomon. He didn't that just tell he, he warned Solomon. He says, if you obey me, I will bless you. If you disobey me, the curses of the Mosaic Covenant will come into effect. Mosaic Covenant was a blessing and cursing type of covenant for obedience, blessing, for disobedience, cursing. And it was written out at Sinai. And the Israel said, yes, we agree to that. And so it was written in the contract. <laughs> 
Yeah, and remember, at the beginning, Solomon was be was godly. I know. He was following the Lord, and he was doing this, and we just get little inklings here and there, you know, right? Oh, well, wait a minute, he married Pharaoh's daughter. Mm-hmm. I don't know about that. And then, you know, we get little inklings that, well, maybe, you know, and then we hear this, uh, you know, these reports of overwhelming wealth and people flocking to him to listen to him and the Queen of Sheba just being overwhelmed by his wisdom and his glory and the temple and, you know, and, you know, he's human like us. And you know his head is going to blow up. <laughs> That's a good question. So the question was, so what are some modern day idols? And how do you know that if your your attachment to the Lord is waning? What what do you think? What are some modern day idols? Entertainment. Oh, yeah, the computer. Okay, okay, M- material. Playthings, material playthings, yeah. Fame, yeah. And that was one that was affecting Solomon, right, too. Yeah, I mean, basically it hasn't changed, no. Yeah. So how do you know when your uh, attachment to the Lord is weakening? That's why the Bible is so important, because the Bible refocuses our mind. We live in the world. We live in the world, we watch TV, at least I do, Mm -hmm. and we're affected, we can be affected by the world, and if we're not reading God's Word and renewing our mind, we begin to think as the world thinks. And the world, the world's goal is to get people to forget God, to think God is unnecessary. So the the Bible is extremely important. So again, we're reading through the Bible this year as a church, and we want everyone to join us. So, see, God gave Solomon the kingdom, even though Adonijah probably, from a worldly viewpoint, had a greater claim to the throne because he was his older brother. That is why when Adonijah asked for Abishag as his wife, Solomon immediately recognized that was a threat to his throne because that would solidify his claim. But God sovereignly chose Solomon as the king. And um, that, again, when Solomon went and did all this stuff, made the Lord angry. Then verse 11, the So the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom from you. So this verb to tear is pretty uh, rough. It's rough, okay? And that verb was also used with King Saul by Samuel. Samuel said, The Lord will tear the kingdom from you and give it to someone better than you. So basically, Solomon had been warned numerous times. His father had warned him about keeping the Mosaic Covenant before he died. God had warned him twice about keeping the Mosaic Covenant before he died. Well, God didn't die. Um, But he had warned him twice. And then also Solomon, during his dedication prayer, committed 
himself to keep the Mosaic Covenant, and he failed. So, this is terrible, and this is worse sin than Saul committed. Saul took the role of priest because he couldn't wait. And the, the armies were gathering. He was getting nervous. His uh, army was starting to defect. Samuel hadn't showed up. So he took the role of priest, and he offered the sacrifice himself. And for that, God took the kingdom away from Saul. This is much worse. And, um, and yet, verse 12, Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away all the kingdom, but I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So the punishment was not as great for Solomon as it was for Saul because he was the recipient of the Davidic covenant. He was in the line of David. And so God had obliged himself to maintain that line, irrespective of the performance of the kings. And that's why there's still going to be a Davidic king. Otherwise, there wouldn't. <laughs> you know, this is reminiscent of the believer's contract with the Lord the Christians. We have an unbreakable promise from God. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. That's a one-time deal. Bang. You're saved. You're going to heaven. Okay? It cannot be undone. But he also calls us to follow him. He wants to use us to bless other people in our lives. So what can be lost from the believer due to sin? See, you choose the sin. This is interesting. We'll see later. You it's your choice. The sin is your choice. The consequence is not your choice. And things can come at you from places you don't expect. <laughs> and that happened to Solomon. And I think that's true of all of us, right? We, if we sin and consequences start, we'll think, I did not expect that. So you choose the sin, but you do not choose the consequence. That's up to the Lord. And it will probably be something unexpected. So what can we expect to lose by sin as a Christian? Fellowship with God. Intimacy. Intimacy. Yes. Fellowship with God. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that is not because he hates us. That's because he loves us. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think in relation to prayer, a sinning Christian loses their power. In prayer. Because the Lord says, if you have sin in your heart, I won't regard you. Okay? So you lose your power in prayer. You lose your desire for prayer. I've sinned. And I was almost afraid to pray. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was almost afraid to pray afterwards. So you lose your desire for prayer. You lose your desire for fellowship with other believers because you're ashamed yes because you're ashamed you lose opportunities for service you can lose opportunities for service you can lose physical health okay you can lose healthy relationships your relationships can be destroyed yeah you can lose your reputation you know think about Jimmy what was it Jim Baker yeah Jim Baker Jimmy Schwager 
you know, you lose your reputation. Yeah. You lose your, you, you know, you're not effective yeah. for the Lord. And you can lose your life. And there are examples of that in the scriptures of people losing their life, believers losing their life, going to heaven because of sin. Yeah. So one of our people pointed out that not all just not all bad things are due to sin. And that's true. So yeah, I mean, for example, uh, the Job is probably the main one where Job did learn through that that God is sovereign. Yeah, Job did learn. Also, Paul was sent a thorn in the flesh from Satan, and that was not because he sinned, but to keep him from sinning. It's to keep him from sinning because he'd had these great revelations and to keep it from going to his head. So not all, I don't want, especially online, I don't want people to think that um, if bad things are happening to you, if trials are happening to you, it is always due to sin. But I do think you should think about it, because it can be. And if you check your mind, am I sinning? No. Okay? Then I will trust the Lord for this trial. Okay, so this is good stuff, huh? Okay, so section C, God raises. So God raises external enemies. So we see the problem. The problem is idolatry due to, you know, associating with a lot of foreign women. <laughs> a lot of foreign women. <laughs> yes, so it was pointed out that Solomon started something that ended in the uh, deportation of the Northern Kingdom in 722. It ended with the deportation of uh, Judah to Babylon in 586. And from this time on, Israel was plagued by idolatry. And they never got over it until the Babylonian captivity. So Solomon is plunging the nation into disaster here. Well, that look at verse 11. Was that the one? Let me see. Oh, no, verse 12. Nevertheless, I will not do it, tear the kingdom out of... Solomon's hands, for the sake of your father David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. So Solomon benefited from David's faith. And I think that will apply to us. If we are faithful, our children will benefit. They will benefit from that. Okay, God raises external enemies. That's 1 Kings 11, verses 14 through 25. Let me read that one. Then the Lord raised up an adversary to Solomon. Hadad the Edomite, he was of the royal line in Edom. For it came about when David was in Edom, and Joab the commander of the army had gone up to bury the slain, and had struck down every male in Edom. For Joab and all Israel stayed there six months, until he had cut off every male in Edom. That Hadad fled to Egypt, he and certain Edomites of his father's servants with him, while Hadad was a young boy. They arose from Midian and came to Paran, and they took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house and assigned him food and gave him land. Now Hadad found great favor before Pharaoh, so that he gave him in marriage the sister of his own wife, 
the sister of Tapanes the queen. The sister of Tapanes bore his son Genubath, whom Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Genubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh. But when Hadad heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers, and that Joab the commander of the army was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Send me away that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, But what have you lacked with me, that, behold, you are seeking to go to your own country? And he answered, Nothing. Nevertheless, you must surely let me go. God also raised up God also raised up another adversary to him, Rezon, the son of Eliada, who had fled from his lord Hadadezer, king of Zobah. He gathered men to himself and became leader of a marauding band after David slew them of Zobah, and they went to Damascus and stayed there and reigned in Damascus. So he was an adversary to Israel all the days of Solomon, along with the evil that Hadad did, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Aram. So, verse 14, the Lord raised up. The Lord raised up. Okay, I wrote down these verses, and I'll have to think why I did that. <laughs> but these are the verses I wrote down. He, Solomon, the son of David, shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Oh, this is why I did it. I will be a father to him, and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. That is why I wrote that down. Because, okay, he, he raised them up, the enemies, because he's going to punish him with the sons of men. And Hadad of the Edomite royal line, yeah, Hadad was of the Edomite royal line, and um, we hear that it came about when David was in Edom. So the Lord was planning this, but when Solomon was still a little kid or maybe hadn't been born. David was in Edom. Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain. And so this correlates with 2 Samuel chapter 8. The Bible is an amazing book. So it correlates with 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. And this is a kind of a list of David's conquests after he became king of the United Kingdom. It said, So David made a name for himself when he returned from killing 18,000 Arameans in the Valley of Salt. He put garrisons in Edom. In all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became servants to David, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. So if you put these two passages together, it sounds like David slaughtered the Edomites. It took him six months. Joab was in there in Edom, chasing them down and killing them for six months until he'd cut off every male in Edom. And this was part of David's conquests. You know, this is why the Lord said, I don't want you to build the temple, because David had been going around doing things like this. And um, not that it was sinful, because, you know, he was... And so Hadad was a boy, and he had escaped from this basic genocide that David was carrying out. So the Lord had a, a rod of discipline prepared for Solomon sitting down in Egypt. 
It's just like the flood, right? We learned about the, the flood, how the Lord created the earth. He created the earth as a time bomb, you know. Water's beneath. Water's above. And it went fine until the sin got so great that the Lord said no. And he had it ready to trigger. He triggered it in a minute. That is the omniscience of God. That is the foreknowledge of God. That is why there's no counsel or no anything against the Lord. You cannot be smart enough to plan against the Lord. That's why Satan is hes very intelligent, but he is crazy. <laughs> you know, because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of both knowledge and wisdom. Satan does not have that. So he thinks, you know, and that, this is why all the great dictators do this, like Hitler, you know. He was warned against doing something. I can't remember what battle it was. His, all his general says, we can't win this. We can't win this. He says, go, go, get it, you know, because, the, the, you know, that is the mind of Satan. That is the mind of Satan, and that is the mind of those who are associated with him. So he went to Egypt as a boy. He grew up, and he married the queen's sister. So he was very, you know, Pharaoh was enamored with Hadad. Then verses 20 and 21, sister of Tapanes bore his son Jenubath. Tapanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. Jenubath was in Pharaoh's house among the sons of Pharaoh, so his son was being raised in the palace. But when he heard in Egypt that David slept with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, he said, send me away to my own country. So this happened early on in Solomon's reign, when David died. So I have another proverb here that Solomon wrote. Very wise man. If he'd only applied his proverbs. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So that was... Now, did Hadad have to return? No. He was high on the hog, man. Yeah, I mean, gosh, he married the queen's sister. His son was being raised in the pharaoh's palace. You know, he had it good. Um, no, he didn't have to go to Egypt, and he couldn't explain why he wanted to. He could not explain why he wanted to. He says, um, the pharaoh said to him, what have you lacked with me? That behold, you are seeking to go to your own country. He said, nothing. Nevertheless, you must surely let me go. <laughs> So he could not tell Pharaoh why. Well, we know why. The Lord is drawing him up there as an instrument. And then the other external threat was this Rezon, who escaped from Hadadezer. Now, Hadadezer was also defeated by David. Hadadezer was north of Damascus. And um, Hadadezer of Zobah, Hadadezer was the king's name. And that was David defending his northern border. And he conquered that, that city. And um, so, yeah, this is from 2 Samuel 8, 5 through 8. 2 Samuel 8, 5 through 8. When the Arameans of Damascus came to help Hadadezer, king of Zobah, David killed 22,000 Arameans. Then David put garrisons among the Arameans of Damascus, and the Arameans became servants to David, bringing tribute, and the Lord helped David wherever he went. David took the shields of gold, which were carried by the servants of Hadadezer, and brought them to Jerusalem. 
from Beta and from Berithai, cities of Hadadezer, King David took a very large amount of bronze. Okay, so I wrote a proverb which uh, says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. That's Proverbs 16, verse 7. And so <clears throat> what God was doing here is taking away this proverb because Solomon's ways were no longer pleasing to him. So he, you know, you can live in the midst of your enemies. That's what Psalm 23 says. You know, you set a table for me in the midst of my enemies. Your enemies can will be at peace with you when your ways are pleasing to the Lord. The Lord will hold off your enemies. But when your ways are not pleasing, he raises them up and incites them against you. So those are the external enemies of Solomon. But the worst threat was from inside, inside job. Right? Just like Brutus. Et tu, Brutus? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so can I get somebody to read uh, 1 Kings 11, verses 26 through 40? Thank you, sir. Good point. Good point. That is a difficulty in the, in the text. Because he says, I will give... Uh, he offered Jeroboam ten tribes. He will give Solomon one tribe. And the quarterly goes through all sorts of rigmarole and stuff like that, saying, well, Simeon was in Judah, all this and that. I think the, uh, I have this book called Difficult Bible Passages by J. Carl Laney, which I would recommend. It's good. And he says that the one tribe that was offered to Solomon was the tribe of Benjamin because Jerusalem was in the territory of Benjamin. Yeah. So, but it says, I think that this is supported by verse 36, which says, But to his son I will give one tribe that my servant David may have a lamp always before me in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, the city where I have chosen for myself to put my name. And you'll see in the allotments of the cities and the land in Joshua that Jerusalem is in Benjamin. So Judah would have a natural loyalty to the kings of Judah. And the tribe given to Solomon would be Benjamin, and the ten tribes would be given to Jeroboam. So I think that is the that is how I would deal with that difficulty. But that is a difficulty in the text. There's twelve tribes. It only discusses eleven. Where's the other one? So in the enter Jeroboam. Jeroboam is the anti-hero <laughs> of the story. Now. Jeroboam is destined to introduce a sin into the northern kingdom that never is turned away from. Never. And um, that sin is idolatry. So they, they never shake it. And he is an Ephraimite from the tribe of Ephraim, one of the sons of Joseph. He was capable. He was young. He was industrious, ambitious. Solomon noticed him. And he was appointed by Solomon over the forced labor of both Ephraim and Manasseh, Joseph, the tribe of Joseph. So um, then verse 29 to 32, this uh, prophet encountered, this is a private meeting. So he waited for him outside of Jerusalem on the road uh, in a field 
And he made him an offer that was given to him by the Lord, an offer. He prophesied God would give him ten tribes and leave Solomon one. And uh, the tribe, okay, the, I already went through that. That's the difficulty we're talking about. So the reason for the tearing away was idolatry, promoted by love of pagan women, which we talked about before. But then for the sake of David, he would not do it for Solomon's life. And we discussed that earlier, how you live your life affects your children later. So then verses 37 and 38, I will take you, Jeroboam, and you shall reign over whatever you desire, and you shall be king over Israel. Then it will be, now listen to this, he gives him the same condition that he gave to David and that he gave to Solomon. It will be that if you listen to all that I command you and walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight by observing my statutes and my commandments as my servant David did, then I will be with you and I will build you an enduring house as I built for David and I will give Israel to you. That is quite an offer. So he would give him a lasting dynasty if he would follow the Mosaic law. Jeroboam. Jeroboam. So now this required faith, didn't it? You have to believe that. Jeroboam had to believe that. And we will learn later that he did not believe that. And that is why our minds need to be renewed. He thought like a politician. And we'll learn later that his family came to a gruesome end because he thought like a politician. And when God offered him an enduring kingdom, if only he would listen to the Mosaic Law. That's a warning for us, you know. Now, he did not have the Davidic covenant. So he was hanging on this Mosaic Law, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and he didn't. So because the Lord goes on and, and reinstitutes his commitment to the, Mosaic, uh, to the Davidic covenant. He says this, I will afflict the descendants of David for this, but not always. But not always. So now Solomon somehow heard about this. This is a private meeting out in a field outside of Jerusalem. Somehow Solomon thought, heard about this and the quarterly postulates that Jeroboam did not wait for Solomon's death. To challenge that that so that is their postulate that he challenged Solomon before his death, and so Solomon says doesn't say Solomon repented of his sin, but he wanted to kill Jeroboam, <laughs> you know, and get rid of the physical problem. So Solomon never repented, as far as we know. He died in sin. He died in idolatry. But I do believe that we will see Solomon in the uh, millennial kingdom. So anyway, the part that quarterly doesn't go over, it's not too much this time. First Kings 11 verses 41 through 43 and Second Chronicles 9 verses 29 through 31. And basically, basically it just says Solomon died estimates he lived, he had a 40-year reign, 
It's estimated he died at the age of 60, started reigning about the age of 20. And remember back in the beginning, when he asked for wisdom, Sol or God told Solomon that if you obey my commandments, I'll give you a long life. Well, 60 ain't that long. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so um, anyway, that's our... The Lord said it was long enough. <laughs> it was long enough considering what's going on. Yeah, yeah. 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 So anyway. Yeah, yeah. That's the end. Amen. <laughs>